You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's a Super Bowl Friday on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. How was that, Sarah, for bringing in that Super Bowl week excitement? I'm pumped. You're pumped. It's Friday. Feel good? I feel good, man. It's a feel-good Friday. Or feel good fry, yay, I should say. We got a Super Bowl on Sunday. My parents got the first dose of the vaccine today. I saw that on, on, on digital. That's Pretty awesome. Pretty pumped. On, that's awesome. That's good Good for them. Everything good with that? Everything's, everything went smooth? Yep. A-OK. Oh, look at that. I heard the second dose is the one that's kind of painful, though. So, you know, that's just just Listen, warning man, you. it's a lot less painful than getting COVID. Uh, a thousand percent. I'm just interested in the process. I think it's always incredible. Uh, obviously, we're going to be spending the next couple of hours getting you everything you need to know about the weekend in the way that only we can, with some fun, with some energy, with some great guests. Before we get to any conversation about the game, we do have a serious news note that we want to update everybody on, and it does involve the Kansas City Chiefs. Britt Reed, the son of Kansas City Chiefs head coach Andy Reed. And also of note, the team's outside linebackers coach was involved in a multi-car accident Thursday night that has left a five-year-old child with life-threatening injuries, according to a team statement in the police report. So the incident report provided by the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department says that a car ran out of gas on an on-ramp. The driver called relatives for help. A second car arrived. And then uh, coming off the on-ramp, it looks like Reed was driving a car that he acknowledged he was driving, and it ran into the first car, running it then into the second car. So there are life-threatening injuries at this point. There is an investigation. He left with the police. They did uh, do a blood test for blood alcohol. We don't know the results on uh, at this point, but it is a very serious situation for Britt Reed, for Andy Reed's family uh, on the heels of this. And according to multiple reports right now on social, Britt Reed will not be traveling with the team, obviously, for the Super Bowl. So I want to get everybody caught up on that, of course. Yeah, there is obviously a history for Andy Reed's sons and that family um, that makes this particularly uh, difficult to hear and to learn about um, as they are preparing for this game. Um, Britt Reed, someone who has, has fought through um, painkiller addiction, uh, battled uh, the death of his brother uh, by uh, heroin and drug addiction. And uh, for Andy Reed to have this on his plate before the game, particularly noting that in the uh, police investigation report and according to the search warrant, uh, Britt Reed did tell the officer he had two to three drinks. The officer wrote that he observed signs of impairment uh, and there was a request for a blood draw. And the officer said they smelled a moderate odor of alcohol and that Reed's eyes were bloodshot and red. Um, we obviously await more information on this, but you feel for Andy Reed and that family. You, of course, feel for the families of the children involved and those injured. And you hope uh, for the very for the very best out of this situation, whatever can uh, be the very best news that we receive. Uh, but it's just uh, to add on, on to the plate of Andy Reed as he tries to prepare for this game. Well, and obviously, as we get more information, if we get more information throughout the course of the night, we will do our best to keep you updated on the latest as it continues to unfold. In the meantime, let's get to some Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And the Straight Talk around this show is that we've managed to avoid the most cliche conversation around the Super Bowl until now. It's time, Sarah. Are you ready for legacy talk? Like, I mean, I'm not sure. We've had a whole week. We've avoided it, but... The, at at some point, we've got to look at it. There, there is the opportunity for at least some interesting thoughts. So I will ask you, Sarah, when it comes to legacy, who do you think has more on the line? I appreciate you uh, 
weaseling this in at the end of the week after I thought I would escape it. But you know what? I already was forced to talk about it and highly questionable today. And I cursed the producers out for putting it on my plate. So uh, I'm okay with revisiting my thoughts because I actually found an interesting angle on it for me. And that is that I understand that Tom Brady has nothing left to add in order to prove to us anything. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest. But if he wins this, he will have more Super Bowls individually than any franchise in their entire history. If he wins this, he does that unbelievable thing of taking two different teams to Super Bowl victory, something so rare, not just because if you're a Super Bowl winning quarterback, you're not likely to be let out of the team you're on to go pursue Super Bowls elsewhere and still be in quality enough shape to do so, but just because of all the things that have to go right on a team to get all the way there. So Tom Brady adds a significant accomplishment here that can't be undersold, but it's not necessary for us to believe anything differently about his greatness, in my opinion. On the side of Mahomes, what we're arguing and what most people are arguing uh, is either the extreme that Tommy Romo said, which is you win this over Brady, and then later on when you've got this big stack of Super Bowls, one of them is against the guy that you're competing with for legacy, and that head-to-head will mean more down the line. Almost everyone else, even if they don't go that far, still seems to be arguing that this is the first of many. And that assumption to me is deeply flawed based on the idea that Tom Brady is the only person that we've seen do that. Just getting a second means that Mahomes is ahead of Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and Dan Marino and anybody that didn't even won. So the idea that we keep putting ahead of Patrick Mahomes, the assumption that he will get six, seven, eight, nine, ten plus, or that he will even be in the mix for that long to me, is the flaw. So it means more to get a second than to finish with just one. I I agree with a lot of what you just said there. I I think realistically, neither of these quarterbacks, if they lose the Super Bowl, are going to see some legacy killer. I'm just going to be real Mm -hmm. there. A a legacy opportunity for Patrick Mahomes comes when it comes to beating Tom Brady. There will be so much hype around that win for the rest of his career. If he loses to Tom Brady, it's not the end of the world. And I'll even go back to John Elway. We rarely talk about the three Super Bowls he lost. We talk about the final two that he won. And there is the opportunity. You can lose Super Bowl. What you do the rest of your career can dictate the legacy far more. But if he wins, I think he's that's the one spot in any of this that has legacy on the line. That's some straight talk. Straight talk wireless. No contracts. No compromise. Uh, we'll keep breaking down everything you need to know. But coming up next, we'll bring in a former NFL head coach for his thoughts on the Super Bowl and a big moment for an old friend. That's next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline where we're joined by Chuck Pagano. Obviously, a laundry list of resume items for you and reasons why we wanted to talk to you, Coach, because you have so much experience around so many of the parts of the Super Bowl. So uh, as somebody that, frankly, is used to taking on Tom Brady, what's the key to slowing down Tom? (laughs) You know, there's been a lot of us uh, and and and. You know, the Bucks are going to have their hands full, obvious, or, uh, you know, the uh, Chiefs are going to have their hands full. We've all tried. And, um, you know, you just – they've got the ability to run the football, which makes it a, a tall order, uh, you know, with the two backs that they got. And then Tom does a great job with the play action. There's nothing that uh, Tom has not seen. You know, uh, you know, Spags will do a great job. Uh, with the defense and the, the design and the disguise and things like that. But, um, you know, you just, you, you got to make it hard for the receivers. You got to stop the run. You got to get them in third and long. And then you got to do a great job of disguising and try to hide what you're doing. 
you know, Coach, it, it feels like this uh, this run for Brady has always come with the doubts because of the limitations to his game, and yet he somehow is able to do so much more with physically less. As you watch him play at the age of 43, and the book on him is always interior pressure, and yet somehow the brains and the football savvy come through, what do you see when you watch him be able to counteract the blitzes and the pressure that comes his way? No, he's uh, he's amazing. He doesn't look any different uh, to me today. As crazy as that sounds, as say when we faced him back in 2011 in the AFC Championship game when I was at Baltimore. Um, <laughs> it's just amazing uh, what he's been able to do and what he continues uh, to do. Um, again, I I go back to you know uh, what Byron's done. What BA's done, um, how they game plan, how they're able to run the football, extra linemen in there, protect. They're going to do a great job of protecting him. And uh, he's going to do a great job of protecting himself because, again, I go back to there's nothing that he has not seen. You know, so he's going to do a great job of, uh, you know, with some with motion and things like that and get his pre-snap, you know, tells and, and try to ID the defense as best as he can. But um, he's just he's just amazing. Um, it's just incredible. Um, yeah, we said internal pressure. We always said, hey, we got to get Tom off the spot. You know, we got to get him off the spot. We got to make him move this, that, and the other. But I guarantee you that, you know, the job that, you know, Harold Goodwin, Joe Gilbert will do with that offensive line, the design with the protection schemes, things like that, they're going to make it very, very difficult, uh, you know, for Kansas City to be able to do that. So, uh, again, I'm just in awe uh, of what, uh, he's been able to do uh, over such a long period of time and continues to do at age 43. It's just crazy. We're talking to former Colts head coach and defensive coordinator for the Bears, Ravens, and others, uh, Chuck Pagano on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Coach, if you're dialing up a defense and you can either take on the smartest quarterback that's seen everything that seems to know what's coming or you can take on an athletic wonder freak that makes plays out of nothing like Patrick Mahomes, which would you rather <laughs> have to dial up a defense to defend? Neither. <laughs> that's no, why he retired. Been, he was like, I'm out. <laughs> yes, that's exactly why I'm, I'm sitting here in my living room, you know, and I'm babysitting my, my new grandson, Bear, and, and I just get to watch, you know, uh, you know these, these uh, defensive coordinators now. I'm going to get to watch them, you know, die a thousand deaths. You know, football is great. The, the preparation, the practice, all that stuff, but – the three hours and five minutes on game day is pure hell. I mean, it's pure hell, especially when you're going up against these two, these two quarterbacks. And it's a great question. Um, you know, anytime you, you you think you got a guy, okay, he's not mobile. All right, he's not going to you know beat us with his leg. He's not going to be able to extend plays. Um, but there's a whole different set of circumstances and problems that they give you. And then you, you know, face a guy, you know, uh, like Mahomes and. Uh, you know, his ability to extend plays, um, throw uh, the off-schedule plays, the throws that he makes um, outside the pocket from different angles. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's crazy. And so, um, you know, I know for sure that, you know, you know, Todd Bowles and that defensive staff will do a great job. Um, they're not going to let, you know, Tyreek do what he did to them in the first game, especially in that first quarter. They're going to manage that, but what what it comes down to is is being able to, um, you know, the first three or four seconds of the play are critical. 
But then with, with Mahomes, it's going to be the next three or four, maybe five seconds uh, of doing a great job of plastering uh, the man in your zone. And they, they do a phenomenal job in Kansas City of, of those guys working uh, in unison uh, with the quarterback when he starts to extend play. So, I mean, they're both deadly. Um, you don't want to face any of them. But, again, it's it's going to be a great matchup. It's going to be a great challenge. And like you said, I'm, I'm glad I'm, uh, I'm sitting here um, and not having to deal with that, with that on, I mean, I'd, I'd love eating to eat the nachos, drinking the beer be with us. We'd be, <laughs> exactly. We'd love to be in that, in that, in that, you know, in that game and never made it there, but, um, I'm excited to see this, uh, see this matchup. I'm a Chicago Bears fan, so I would love for you to be there instead of at home too, Coach. So we're in the same boat here. Uh, it's Spade yeah. and Fitz, Chuck Pagano with us here on ESPN Radio. So this may be a straightforward answer, but it might not be, and that's why I want to ask you. If you're running a defense and you're going up against a team like the Chiefs that have injuries across that offensive line, is it do what we always do and hope that those are weaknesses that are exploited by what we do best, or is it there are actually changes that we make in response to the fact that we know they have backups there? Um, you know, great question. Um, I think I think they do what they do. But again, I think with um, with the situation that the Chiefs are in and with the with the line and the, the injuries uh, that they've had there, um, we saw we saw them get after Green Bay, right? And we saw them get home before. And they've got guys that can rush the passer, obviously, with JPP and and Barrett, and, and they're going to get the inside push, you know, with, with Vita Vey. Um, You know, so if they can get home and keep seven in coverage, which you need 11 in coverage with all the weapons Kansas City has, I mean, it, it's, it should, it's, you know, it's not fair uh, that they only get to play with 11 with all the weapons that KC has. But um, if they can get home uh, with, the front, with, you know, a four-man rush, and then mix in some of the pressure because Todd, you know, Coach Coach Bowles loves to pressure and he likes to bring pressure. Um, but you know, you got to pick and choose, obviously, uh, when you're going to do that and mix it up. But I think you know, with the pass rushers that they have, they'll be able to, you know, generate some pass rush and get some pressure, you know, on Mahomes, you know, with with four and be able to, you know, tend to number ten, uh, keep some help over the top of him you know, bang Kelsey around, try to make it hard for him, you know, so he doesn't have free access off the line when he's near the uh, the core, uh, so to speak. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's do what you do, but then, um, you know, you've got four guys that can get to the quarterback and they got issues up front, so you try to take advantage of those mismatches. Coach, you mentioned Coach Bowles. Well, we've had a lot of talk this week about uh, Spags versus Brady and all of these conversations. Like, how real is it, defensive coordinator versus quarterback, when you're coming into the planning for a game plan? No, I I, I think it's I think it's really real, and um, you know it's a it's always a it's always a chess match, um, and you're trying to you know as a defensive coordinator say okay. Uh, who can you go in every week and you say, okay, who can wreck the game? You know, who do we got to make sure, uh, you know, the game wreckers are and they don't wreck the game. Now, they start with probably number 10 because of what happened in the first one. And, and everybody starts with Tyreek and don't let them get behind you. Um, easier said than done. And then you go to Kelsey. Uh, they got, you know, they've got guys that can run the football. I don't know that they really like to run the football, to be honest with you. They may mix it in. Who knows? We'll see what happens, you know, with the weather and things like that. Um, but if Sammy plays, 
you know, you got uh, Hardman. Um, you, I mean, you've got all these, you got all these weapons, you know, so, um, you know, you got to identify, okay, these are the guys that we're going to make sure that they don't wreck the game. And then if you beat us, you know, with these other guys, you beat us with the other guys and they'll move the hat around. Everybody's going to have a, uh, have a hard down on that defense, uh, so to speak. And, and Todd will do a great job of, of moving that around as, as just as, you know, Spags will, you know, on the other side. So, um, again, it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, two aggressive guys who have done great jobs so far in the postseason going up against two pretty stacked uh, offenses there. It's Spain and Fitz there. Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Chuck Pagano. Before we let you go, Coach, I have to ask, obviously you decide to hang him up at 60. You say that's a number you sort of had in your mind, and there are things and, and goals you wish you would have hit, but you're ready to spend more time with family. I'm not convinced that you can't be brought back out of retirement a couple years from now. But in the meantime, what do you plan to spend your time doing? And how do you plan to avoid that pull of football and, and all the work that goes along with it bringing you back? Well, again, I, you know, it, it was because of family. And, and uh, you know, uh, there was some things that, you know, the only regret is you don't make it to the you know, to the, to the dance, to the big one and dance under that confetti and hoist that trophy. Um, but got so many great memories and, um, I've been very, very blessed and very, very fortunate uh, to have had the, the career that I've had both in college and the national football league. And, and so now it's, now it's time to, to give back, you know, the, our families sacrifice so much, um, you know, 12, 13 moves, uh, along the way, um, three different high schools for one of my daughters, uh, you know, so it's time for me to give back to them and, and uh, have an opportunity to, to help my kids raise their kids. Again, I'm in Indy right now. We've kept our home here. My youngest daughter, Tori, lives here. She just had her first child. Uh, Bear Charles is, is 13 weeks, going on 14 weeks old. So uh, she goes back to school March 1. So Tina and I are full-time babysitters. So oh, wow. Okay. That's going to keep me, put, that's going to, that's going to keep me busy. Just you like know, coaching. Doing that. And I'm, I'm really, no, I'm really, <laughs> so uh, it's the first, it's the first boy in the Pagano family. I got three daughters, three granddaughters, and, and this is the, this is the first boy in the family. So um, I think everybody knows um, just how much time and attention, how much how spoiled this, <laughs> this little guy is going to be, but I, I'm really looking forward to that. Coach, I, I mean, nothing screams future football player like a name like Bear Charles. I'm just saying, yeah. like, that feels like it's, ready. Just, ready. it's meant to be far manlier than I'll ever be. Uh, we <laughs> do have to ask you, your first season as a Colts coach, obviously well chronicled your battle with cancer. That's the moment Bruce Arians was appointed interim head coach. It was a, a, in, a, in that moment, his only head coaching experience was with Temple. So you knew Bruce, obviously. Why was he the right man for that job? Uh, just the experience that he's, that he had, you know, and, um, I was very, very fortunate, you know, to, you know, get that job in Indy. The stars had the line, you know, just right. You know, it was Tom Brady that, that beat us that day, you know, up in Foxborough in 2011, you know, had we won that game up there, Joe Flacco, I mean, we went down the field. You guys remember he hit Lee Evans in the, in the, corner of the end zone there and, and the D back from New England popped that ball out and then we missed a field goal and we lose 23-20 uh, you know but if we win that game I don't have a, chop, a chance to even talk to Andy you know so uh, the stars had to had to align 
you know, uh, just right for that. And, um, you know, they had the line just right for Bruce to be on the street when I got the job. You know, he just, you know, his contract ran out in in Pittsburgh, and he was semi-retired, and and he was the first guy when I got the job, whenever the dust settled, that I I called and uh, was very, very blessed uh, to have him, you know, on my staff and, um, you know, running the offense. Um, And then, you know, when the fourth week of the season – you know, when I finally went in and got checked, we had to buy that, that, you know, that early buy and went and got checked. And we all know the rest of the story, but Bruce is a, is just an unbelievable coach. He's an unbelievable leader. He's an unbelievable teacher, communicator. Um, it was just, it was, it was easy for all of us, you know, Ryan Grigson, Mr. Ursay to sit down and say, okay, yeah. Um, you know, this is the guy, you know, to carry the torch and, and lead the, lead this team. And gosh, I mean, I had to go through the chemo and this, that, and the other, you know, but it was really watching that team play. And, and cause we were ranked 32 out of 32 in the power rankings. That thing has been blown up. As you guys know, it's been well documented. <laughs> rookie quarter, rookie quarterback, uh, rookie head coach, rookie uh, GM, all that stuff. We weren't supposed to win a game. And then that that happens, and then Bruce goes nine and three, and goes on the road to beach Kansas City to clinch a playoff berth, and I make it back for the last game of the season, and just just crazy. But he's just a he's just a phenomenal football coach, but a but a better person, and and um, you know a, a debt of gratitude that uh, you know you can never never repay. So you guys are you know uh, obviously uh, know who I'm rooting for. Um, you know, with Joe Gilbert on Joe Gilbert and Harold Goodwin, Clyde Christensen, those guys were all on that that original staff. You know, when I when I got the job in 2012, so magical season, um, another magical season. Uh, you know, for BA, and that's like I text him. I said, "This is destiny to mm. to go on the road and do what they did." Um, you know, for him to land Tom Brady. I mean, it, only BA, only BA can pull this off. There's nobody else in, 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 in the history of football that could pull this guy, pull this thing off. And uh, so I wish those guys the, the best of luck. And I just, I just have an eerie feeling that they're going to get this thing done. Coach, we appreciate your time, your insight. Thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck. Enjoy your time just hanging out with the family. It's so deserved. Thanks for giving us your insights. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate you guys. Take care. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz on a Super Bowl Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And we're excited now to be joined by NFL Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer Jonathan Bean on the Goodyear Hotline. Jonathan, uh, thanks so much for coming on. We always have our girl Sam Rappaport, friend of the show here on Spain and Fitz. She now reports to you. Uh, we've spoken at length with her about the efforts of the NFL to increase diversity, both women and people of color. Now you're taking on the lead in that job. Remarkable display in this Super Bowl alone and your efforts paying off already. So let's start there. Talk to me about the minority representatives on Bruce Arian's staff, especially. Yeah, and and I think that uh, this is a great year for for that to be shown, and and it's the power of diversity, right? We always are saying that, oh yeah, diversity leads to more innovation, creativity, and optimal performance, 
And then people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is, uh, 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 we are seeing it in action right now with Bruce Arians and his organization. And whether it's Lori Locus and Morale Javadapar, uh, as, as women coaches on, on the team. And also when you look at all of his coordinators, including his assistant head coach, all being diverse, all being black, it's, it's quite amazing. I mean, Todd Bowles, amazing career. And then you look at Byron Lefkowitz, a player for about 10 years and, and came and was really recruited over a number of years by Arians, finally comes on, does an absolutely fantastic job it, uh, as an offensive coordinator, which you all know, uh, there are there is not a lot of diversity in in that space, and then with special teams with Keith Armstrong, and and then Harold Goodwin as the assistant head coach. So it's it's a wonderful thing to look at, um, but then it's the excellence which is so important to me. So Jonathan, what's been the biggest stumbling block in accomplishing diversity faster in your mind for the NFL? I I think when you look at a league that has 32 clubs with 30, 31 owners. You look at Green Bay and it's a different structure, but you basically have owners that have very different philosophies on how to run the team, uh, very different culture for each group. And, and there really hasn't been um, a league-wide effort when it comes to diversity and inclusion ex- until recently. And we needed to put that in place. Uh, so it's not just we need more than just the Rooney rule. The enhancement to that is fantastic. The mobility rule, fantastic. The rewards program is very good. Those are all things to enhance and, and has, has provided a lot of value. But we also know that we need to have structure. And that's why we have a, we have a strategic plan for the league now. Um, all of our executive vice presidents have a plan. Every one of the clubs will have a plan by the end of the season. So we're putting that structure and strategy and alignment for everyone. And we didn't have that before. And then what we're also trying to do is disrupt the traditional, the way that we've always done it, is when we're looking for a role, we simply go to the people that we've always gone to. We go to the comfort zone. We want to disrupt that comfort zone. And we want to make sure that we have more, less bias and we have more access and opportunity when we're looking at roles. And so when you look at the hiring season right now, of course, we're, we're disappointed with where we are with head coaches, but we also have had 12 people of color interview for the head coach positions, which is a lot more than happens in the past. We have also had 16 general managers of color candidates that interviewed for those roles this year. And we had 37 different diverse coordinator candidates interview for the role. So what we're having is we're having more opportunity, more access and opportunity to compete for these roles. We just, and also we have more hires across the board, but we're not, we're, we have a lot more work to do and we're not happy with where we are, but we are making progress. Jonathan Bean, the NFL's new chief diversity and inclusion officer, joins us here on Spain and Fitz during a historic time for the NFL when it comes to diversity being represented in the Super Bowl from referees to coaches to strength and training conditioners to coordinators. But to your point, that that big goal is still better representation across head coaching. Jamel Hill just wrote a story for The Atlantic with the dismount of 
The NFL owners have sent the message that they'd rather hire black men as laborers than as leaders. How much do you think there is um, still that disconnect between the face of a franchise, the leader of a franchise, and then those who are in coordinator or other positions? Yeah, I mean, we clearly have to do a better job. When I mean, it's not just the membership, but it's also all of us. And we're clearly, there is not a pipeline issue. I've heard cases where people say, well, it's the pipeline. No, the pipeline, I've worked in a lot of different organizations. The pipeline at the NFL for head coach positions, for coordinator positions, for GM positions, for other operations positions at the NFL is as strong as I've ever seen in any industry. So the pipeline is not the issue. What it is, is we have to ensure that people are given an opportunity. And, and, and we just have to do a better job when we're looking when, as a decision, when we're making a decision about whether we're going to hire someone or not, are we doing it in an objective way? And we're eliminating any kind of bias that we have where we're throwing all the cards on the table and we're simply picking the best person for the job. And we're working towards that and we can do a better job of that. Yeah, I but guess, it's going to take know, time. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Jonathan, it just sort of, it shakes me when I hear you say that because it seems such so simple in some ways in my mind. And I know it's not, but you know, I'll always qualify it. I come from a music background where in classical music you stand behind a screen and you play and you're given a score and your score dictates whether or not you got the job. Like it's a very meritocracy sort of world. Sarah and I are non-traditional hires to ESPN. I mean, I've always wanted to, to presume that in the NFL where my favorite team cares so much about winning that they'll do whatever it takes. I mean, do you believe that there's still a barrier for some owners that simply don't want to hire a coach because of the color of their skin? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't, I would say, look at this, Jason, when you talk about, I would look at it from a human perspective. And this is the research has shown this. we as human beings, we tend to gravitate, we tend to want to hire, we tend to have a stronger affiliation for those that have a similar background in us, those that look like us, those that we can talk about something that we, we have experienced together. And it's always harder when you're having that kind of conversation with someone with a very different background than you. And I think it, it, this, is a, this is not an issue that just exists in the NFL. This exists in all industries. We have the same challenge. Now, we want to lead. So we want to make sure that we break this and we stop the disruption. But we have to, to for me, we have to find a way to disrupt that sense of I want to hire what best represents something that, I, that is comfortable for me. Because, to your point, the non-traditional provides a lot of value. The non-traditional could be what brings your team to the next level. I mean, I firmly believe that. The commissioner firmly believes that. The, the league does as well. And so that's, that's where we have to get. And so I, I, I don't want to – I, I am not a believer, though, that our owners are sitting there and saying, oh, this is I, I'm, I am I am not going to hire a person of color. Uh, I think that the idea is to truly hire the best person. But I also believe that we all have our own biases, that we have to find a way to, and have more awareness to disrupt, to make sure that we are always making the best hire. 
Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, talking to NFL Chief Diversity Inclusion Officer Jonathan Bean. Uh, quickly, before we let you go, obviously Sam and some of the folks there have been doing some good work over the last few years, but when you arrive on the job, is there something you could share with us that's the first thing that you said, I want to change this, add this, adopt this? Oh, you're saying what would I do differently from one? No, 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 no. When you walk in on top of what they've done, what are you looking around and saying, oh, let's also do this or let's change this or I want to immediately add this? Yeah, for me, for me, we needed that. We need to put in place a vision, a North Star, uh, a strategy that we all can attach ourselves to and commit ourselves to. We needed to have areas of focus and we needed to hold ourselves accountable. Right away, I saw from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective, we weren't quite there, and we had to build that. So we have to build the structure. We have to have the vision and put together a strategy. Like with whatever anybody or any organization wants to do, you have to have the North Star where we know we're all aligned on what our purpose is. And so right away, that was a huge opportunity that I saw. And it's great because Sam, who's my partner in crime, and uh, I think we really work well together. Uh, her 16 years in the NFL, and then my uh, perspective in media and entertainment and healthcare, I think it's a good connection, which has really allowed us to really uh, dial in on the areas of need that will get the biggest outcome. And then, you know, the other great thing is we have uh, Daisha Smith, who's my boss, the chief administrative officer, has really committed to this space and was already. Uh, changing things in a dramatic way before I even got there. Well, we're looking forward to hearing what you guys do. Anybody partnered up with Sam has got a good right-hand woman there. So uh, we, we, uh, we look <laughs> forward right. to, to the progress. Okay. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Jonathan Bean, NFL Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer with us here on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You could save big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, a special Super Bowl edition of Good Take or Hot Take. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. <laughs> uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. There was a promise of learning how to swim before the end of last year. And like so many things that didn't happen in 2020, that did not either. Uh, we're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear more driven. If you can't get enough of Fitz and not being able to read now, you can get extra Fitz this weekend. He's part of our big Sunday full of Super Bowl coverage. 7 to 9 a.m. You got Barton Hahn with Bart Scott and Alan Hahn. 9 to noon, super edition of Best Week Ever with Peter Burns and Katie George. 12 to 3, you got Super Game Day with Shea Pepler Cornette and Jordan Cornette. 3 to 6 p.m., super pregame show with Matt Schick, Tyler Fulgham, and Jeremy Fowler. 6 o'clock till the end of the game, super primetime with Alyssa Lang, Field Yates, and Mark Hertzlig. And end of the game to 2 a.m., it's an after party. Super post game with Jason Fitz, Mike Golick Jr., and Kirk Morrison. That's going to be good, Fitz. Are you going to be sober? Uh, yeah, you know, rumor has it, I guess we're going to be, you know, that seems to be the way it's going to be because Mike and I are doing a digital pregame show. So we're going to be together before the show on the ESPN app and Twitter and YouTube, and then we'll be together after the show. I keep com- trying to convince him to just, like, let us spoon for the duration of the game. He says that's weird. I don't know why. But, uh, yeah, we're going to get through the game together. You know, that's okay, all social distancing, one- friend. Let's be safe here. 
Well, I don't think anyone's allowed to spoon right for, now. <laughs> if, we're, if we're in the same studio for six hours with no masks on, then can't we spoon? Spain and Fitz, it's time for a little <laughs> good take, hot take. Yeah, we didn't even uh, mention that uh, Stash, our producer, has also been forced into late night action with you. And he is a diehard Chiefs fan. So he's, and we know Stash is known for the strawberry daiquiris. He's going to slide a few of those down his throat en route to a, a exciting post show radio performance. So, uh, Look out, everyone, is I guess what I'm saying. End of the game till 2 a.m. on Sunday. Let's get into some Super Bowl good take, hot take. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes? takes. Just the damn ball and let him decide. That's not the Green Bay way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. That's right. A special Super Bowl edition of Good Take, Hot Take. We just talked to the NFL Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer Jonathan Bean about Bruce Arian's staff. Well, Keyshawn Johnson this morning on KJNZ had some thoughts about what that staff might mean. He's big in the minority space, whether it's hiring women, hiring blacks, whatever the case may be. He does that. He empowers people. So when you package all that up that I just said, plus a Super Bowl win, now you can kind of start to talk about him in that breath of, is he a Hall of Fame coach? All right. So do you want to get into the Hall of Fame coach stuff or having to do with his staff? Well, look, I think both uh, in some essence, because part of the Hall of Fame, at least in one department, is uh, impact to the game, right? That is something that they look at from one side. I, I don't even care about whether he's a Hall of Fame coach. His impact to the game could be Hall of Fame level. If they can go out and win with this diverse staff, what it does is it wakes everybody else up to the success that you can have building a diverse staff. It's such a copycat league, Sarah. I do think that portion of it is a good take that, you know, if they can have that, if they can win a Super Bowl, what it does for that conversation, which, by the way, will continue to influence the NFL for generations to come, that's, that's legacy conversation. 100% agree with that. I hope. For the sake of the league and the great talent out there that looking at these women and men that represent uh, something different, something new, something outside the box will result in others copying as well. We love love to see it when it comes to expanding diversity across the league. All right, moving on, we got Dan Orlovsky with an interesting take. We cut just a little bit of it. Here's what he had to say about Patrick Mahomes Sunday. Patrick Mahomes has to play the best game he's ever played as a pro for them to win this game, for the Kansas City Chiefs to win. Okay, so good take or hot take? This is such a hot take. Like, And for anyone that hasn't seen it, Dan only owns salt and pepper. It's the only two seasonings he has. So I don't know where these fiery red hot sauces are coming from, but there is no reason for this. I mean, let's remember that last year against an incredible 49ers defense, Mahomes didn't even play all that great for three out of four quarters, and they still won the game. Like, the recency <laughs> in this take is so fiery hot, it's habanero hot. I'm, I'm out on all of this. Dan, you're better than this. Yeah, this is way too hot for me, in part because I know it's a different setup and, and that the Bucks' defense is what has allowed them to overcome turnovers, but there were three second-half interceptions from Brady last game we saw, and they still won the game. I don't think that you can say with this particular matchup that one turnover is going to be the difference, uh, especially if there's a chance for Tom Brady to make those mistakes again, then Patrick Mahomes turns the ball over, isn't perfect, they're still in it. They can beat you on one play. They can expose you on a cheetah, deep route, and 
make up the seven they just gave away like that. I'm snapping my fingers. It's radio. You can't see it. Uh, so, no, that is way too much of a hot take. We're doing Super Bowl. Good take, hot take here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, especially today. We got some extra with our uh, Chuck Pagano interview that we couldn't fit on the air. So uh, you can get that on the podcast. All right, let's go to Marcus Spears talking about the Chiefs. We get so enamored with talking about offense for the Chiefs and all of the things that they've done that we forget how good Tyron Matthew has been in the mm-hmm. playoffs. Mm-hmm. We forget that Breland makes plays. He gets penalties. He gets PIs. But we also forget that he's a long, lanky corner, right? We forget that Thornhill came back and helped this team tremendously, and now they look like, like that defense that they took down in the playoffs. And then I had to remind myself, that's a unit with guys on that unit that are elite, All right, so the Chiefs' defense getting slept on. This is an interesting one because, of course, when we're looking across the way at the Bucs, we've got a top-five defense. We've got two guys that are top-five in the NFL in pass-rush win rate, which is impossible to say. And you're looking at the fact that they have 41 uh, turnovers scored upon, which is the most heading into uh, a Super Bowl, third most, sorry, for a team heading into the Super Bowl. So we know we're talking about the Bucs. What about the Chiefs, D? Well, look, I think that – this is a bit, I would say for us, this is a hot take. But then again, now I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth. I'm actually going to call it a good take Ooh, because Orlovsky okay. just said that the, the, the only way they win is if Mahomes plays lights out, <laughs> which is sleeping. on. So I think he's, this is directed specifically at Dan. They're, these two are having a take battle. Right. This is a very subjective one because it depends on who you're listening to. A lot of us have been talking about both sides of the D, but maybe yeah. not enough people have. So I'm going to call that a good take. Uh, finally, Roger Goodell with a couple comments today about a variety of things. Uh, this is the one that stood out to me. I don't, I don't know when normal is going to occur again, and I don't know if normal ever will again. Wow, <laughs> that is an unfortunately good take. <laughs> that is the best take Roger Goodell's ever had, right that is there. That a was depressingly good take. good take. Hey, which by the way is a reminder that things are not normal right now. So don't have a Super Bowl party. Please, people, please stay home. Coming up, Chiefs are prepping for the big game, but also have some difficult news to deal with. We'll give you the update on it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel Lady, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, only hours away, it feels like, from the Super Bowl from all of what we expect to see on Sunday, from the matchup between the goat and the baby goat, all of the hype that we've had all week. Well, we want to get caught up on that with uh, some local fa- flavor from one of our, f- be- our favorites. I just forgot how to talk, Sarah. Your, your favorite? Your fest? I'll try all that. Yeah. <laughs> again, well, the, the fest and the favorite. It all, it's one word, apparently. This after I said I was professional earlier yeah. tonight. All right. We'll get caught up on it by heading over to the Goodyear <laughs> Hotline. Saren Petro joins us. You can check him out on Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City, host of the program, 2 to 6 p.m. in Kansas City on weekday. And Saren, thank you so much. We want to get into the Super Bowl, but let's start, obviously, with the big news uh, as everybody's got their eye on Britt Reed, the son of Andy Reed, and an assistant linebacker coach uh, that is. Uh, at this point been involved in a multi-car accident that has uh, multiple injuries, including one child that looks to be in critically injured. Can you give us any update on what you're hearing is the latest? Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's, I think the bulk of it, uh, you know, obviously a very uh, sad story, a, a, a tragic story, and then hopefully doesn't end up being the ultimate tragedy here. It, it you know, broke here uh, this evening, happened last night at 9 p.m. At, on an on-ramp. It's kind of interesting. There's two different like streets that, kind of share an on-ramp they merge as two on-ramps and then 
one more on-ramp uh, onto the main loop, uh, Interstate 435, here in Kansas City. And it's it's one that, you know, when you first hear it, you think on-ramp, how could he be going fast enough to do a, a serious damage? But it's a very long on-ramp. So it's one that you're well up to highway speed long before you actually access uh, the highway. So, uh, you know, he was probably it's probably down towards the end of that and uh, was traveling at a high rate of speed, even if he's not speeding, just the normal speed there is one that could cause a lot of damage. And you hear the reports that both cars uh, damaged. He hit the, the first car, you know, the family had come to help out a car that had run out of gas. He hit the first car that had run out of gas and the one that had pulled up to the front end of it. I uh, hit that one as well, which had the two children in it, the five-year-old sustaining critical injuries. And then according to the police report, uh, Britt Reed uh, confirming that he had two or three to quote him, two or three drinks and was on prescription Adderall. So uh, Britt Reed was arrested for uh, DUI in 2008. And, and of course has had uh, a lot of bumps in, in his life uh, along the way. And, and the Reed family has had a lot of tragedies to deal with in their family. So uh, this is very troubling news uh, on a personal level, certainly. And, and, you know, it's one where the personal life uh, runs into the football side of things when you're, you know, 48 hours away from getting ready or when the accident happened, uh, less than 72 hours away from uh, getting ready to play the Super Bowl. Seren, I don't want to belabor this, but I'm curious, based on being in Kansas City and, of course, knowing about Andy Reid's previous dealings with family issues, uh, the death of his son, um, issues with Britt in the past and, and some prison time, um, when this when this stuff comes up around games and when he has to deal with this around football, does it feel like he's found a way to section these off? I mean, this is a coach for his team. It's it's almost different than simply a family situation to address. Yeah, right. Delicate matter. In fact, you know, uh, there's an individual uh, at my radio station that ultimately ended up losing their job uh, because of some comments they made about the family, about Andy Reid and his and his family and and their relationships and those kind of things. So it, it is a subject that's been you know talked about in kansas city and it's a difficult thing to discuss right i always say for my show look i don't talk about people's personal lives until it affects the field right the court the the ice wherever they may play once it starts to affect the sports then it becomes a subject that we discuss and i think there's no doubt this is one of those times and and yes i mean the the history is known and you know it gets brought up and and andy reed like you know to your point not to be cold about the situation, but Andy Reid is a football coach. I have said that I believe Andy Reid will coach until he either physically can't get to the office or he passes away. I think there's a, you know, Joe Paterno, Bear Bryant type of approach to him. He's a football coach. And I did the first interview with Andy Reid when he came to Kansas City in 2013 and talking about the Eagles. And of course, he lost his son uh, not long before that. And I said, you know, a lot of people would say, hey, maybe you need to take some time away, step back a year, two years you know, recharge your batteries before you go. I said, is that you know something you considered? And I, I don't know that I even got the question out of my mouth. And Coach Reed said, absolutely not. I'm a football coach. This is what I do. I'm ready to go. Let's roll. Hmm. And he really does have that mindset. And, you know, it's probably not the healthiest psychological approach to have. But, you know, I don't know that Michael Jordan has the healthiest psychological approach, right? Those people that are so driven and so committed, and that is their passion and that's what they do. They're, they're just cut a different way. Not, not to say it's good or bad or right or wrong, but it is a passion and a competitive nature that I think most of us can't understand. And that is Andy Reid. And I think he throws himself into his work all the time. I know he does. He's, he's in the office, you know, sleeping in the office three, four days a week as it is. And, and that's just how he's, his life has evolved. And, and so, you know, to the point of football, right, like, like you said, not to trivialize anything that's going on, the, the five-year-old child is everybody's first concern, but they're going to play a football game, and this is ESPN, the worldwide leader of sports. Um, 
yeah, I, I actually, if anybody can handle this and focus and coach a game the way they need to coach a game, uh, Andy Reid is one of the handful of people that I think is wired to actually do that. We're talking to Saran Petro. You can check him out on Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So let's get a little into the game. We've been talking all week about the adjustments we expect Andy Reid and the offense to make uh, given the decimated offensive line. So what are you expecting early on from the Chiefs that might be different than what we're used to? I think it'll be interesting to see how the Bucks play it. You know, I think Andy Reid is, is a little bit of a counterpuncher. They, they've had such, and last year was really pronounced the second quarter was what they owned. He kind of comes out, his scripted first 15 plays are really designed to probe your defense and see what you're going to do. And then he gets to what he's got for whatever element you've decided to, to throw at him. And so he'll have, you know, variations of his game plan based upon how Todd Bowles and that Bucks defense are going to play him. So I think you'll see him kind of feel out the opposition and then he'll see what they're doing. You know, I can't imagine that Todd Bowles is, is going to single cover Tyree kill again after he had a 200-plus yard and couple touchdown quarter against the Bucks last time. It seemed human nature would tell you you got to do something different. That means you know trying to rush with four and drop seven, and that's what most people think they're going to do. And if that's the equation, the Chiefs have had a number of teams do that, play two or three high safeties. And what they did against the Texans in the first game who played them like that, against the Bills in the first game, the regular season game, they pounded away with the run. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had over 150 yards rushing in both those games. They looked for Travis Kelsey. They stayed underneath, and they took what they gave him. That's been the evolution of Patrick Mahomes is he doesn't feel a need to be a hero and throw the ball deep if that's not there. He'll be patient. He'll take the underneath stuff. And if that's what Tampa does, then I think that's the type of game you'll see um, if Tampa says, okay, hey, this offensive line, we can get them. And with five, we can get there so quick we don't have to worry about the coverage. Uh, I think that would be a fool's errand. Patrick Mahomes is the best in the business against the blitz. And I think this offensive line, it, it's absolutely accurate to talk about the fact that they are down uh, and going up against a Bucks D-line that's good. I think it may be a little bit overrated in what people are saying. But the, the backups and, and the job done by Brett Beach, the depth on this roster is really amazing with all the big-time contracts that they have. You know, Mike Remmers is a guy that graded number 35 overall out of all tackles in the NFL. He'll be playing left tackle. Not great, but but not a chump either. Uh, Andrew Wiley's a guy who played tackle in college. He'll kick out from guard to tackle, and he did a fine job against the Saints. In fact, Cam Jordan uh, lost his cool and punched him and ended up getting thrown out of that game because he couldn't believe he wasn't beating Andrew Wiley. And Stefan Wisniewski's the guy that'll step in at guard, and he started for the team in the Super Bowl last year. So, you know, the line is down. There's no doubt about that. But I think it's a little bit overrated how far it's down. So I think it'll be more, and I'm not going to say business as usual, but, but closer to the, the Chiefs offense people are used to seeing than a lot of people might think. We're getting right down to it. You got a prediction for the game? 37-17 Chiefs. Uh, I, I think that the Chiefs are with Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill. I, I think they're you know, getting closer to making the game of football like basketball. You don't go into a game against the Lakers and say, we're going to win 6 nothing." Right? You know, you know you're giving up 100. You've got to make sure you get to 105. You go into a game with the Chiefs, you've got to get to 30-plus to beat them. And I think the most underrated unit in this, uh, in this Super Bowl is the defensive backfield of the Chiefs. Four corners that are starting caliber, two really good safeties as Juan Thornhill looks now like he's finally back from the knee injury. Uh, I don't think the Bucks can get to the 30-plus. I think the Chiefs will get there. Uh, so what the heck? I'm from Kansas City, right? Why not call for the route? 37-17 Chiefs. <laughs> go for it. There you All go. Right. <laughs> we've noted it. We've marked it down. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at Saran Petro. Man, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us, brother. Hey, always my pleasure. You guys are the best. Thanks for having me.
Be sure to check out the program, 2 to 6 p.m. in Kansas City on weekdays on Sports Radio 810 WHB. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's home quote explorers changing the way you buy home insurance now. You can go online, get a custom quote, save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com. All right, that was very much the Kansas City side of it. We'll get the Tampa side of it next from an expert on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Still, for my money, the second best halftime performance ever was Bruno Mars at MetLife. Uh, oh. the, we've been giving you all sorts of halftime music throughout the course of the show. I know that's a hot take, Sarah. I, you know, I, I thought it was really good. I, that's the best I could say. Uh, we've well, been giving pop. you some expertise from both <laughs> sides. Mm-hmm. What? You and What's your pop it? music. You love the pop. It's your jam. Oh, well, that, that's fair. That is fair. Uh, we're going to head over now to the Goodyear Hotline where we're joined by Pat Donovan, host of the Pat and Aaron Show on WDAE, weekdays noon to 3 Eastern. Pat, we just had an expert from Kansas City that told us the Chiefs are going to blow them out. So uh, what do you see it, in, as the key to slowing down Kansas City for Tampa? How do they accomplish that? Well, first of all, not a pop music guy, but I also thought Bruno Mars was fantastic. But when it comes to the Bucks beating Thank the you. Chiefs, listen, we all know that Patrick Mahomes is a magician. And, you know, even Tom Brady this week was talking about how he can kind of just backpedal 15 yards backwards and then flick his wrist and throw it 40 yards downfield. So you got to get to him and you got to get to him quick. And hopefully, you know, from the Buccaneers standpoint, hopefully they can take advantage of an offensive line that is being shuffled around, as you guys know right now, without Eric Fisher out there. I mean, this team could be in a lot of trouble where, you know, they've got to put Mike Remmers, their backup originally right tackle over at the left tackle spot. They're going to flip their guard Wiley out to right tackle. And all of a sudden, uh, with all that shuffling in front of Patrick Mahomes, hopefully, and from a Buck standpoint, again, they can get some pressure on the quarterback because if they don't, you guys know what Patrick Mahomes will do. Pat, we've been talking all week about how it doesn't feel like Super Week, in part because Fitz and I are often wherever the Super Bowl is, going to parties, doing reporting, getting involved, and so it feels weird from afar. But also, the dispatches from Tampa are not coming very fast and furious. Just a couple shots on set. For you, looking around the city, does it feel like they've done the best they could? What are some of the standout moments from this week and and looking forward to this weekend in Tampa? Yeah, you're right, Sarah. It's more super weird than super weak, <laughs> right? Um, but to your question, yes, I think Tampa Bay has done the best job that they could have done. You know what I mean? To take the NFL experience, which oftentimes, as you guys know, will be in the convention center where Radio Row is and put that outside on the river walk. Actually, my co-host and I were out there tonight just kind of looking around and taking it all in. And I think they've done a great job to do it as safely as possible and to make it a lot of fun. And if you are down there, you do kind of start to get that vibe like, okay, yeah, this is the Super Bowl. It's a lot less people, obviously, and and just like Radio Row, I mean, a lot less people there. Um, but it, it does have the feel if you get around the right the right stuff. So how will the city itself be watching the game? I mean, since most people can't get into the stadium, what's Tampa going to be like on Sunday? Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of parties going on. Like you said, very few people right outside of uh, 7,500 and vaccinated healthcare workers and then 14,000 others uh, will be in that building. So a fraction of what we would even see on a regular, normal, regular season Sunday for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I'm sure there's going to be lots of watch parties, lots of energy. And 
Uh, it's going to be interesting if they win because when they won the NFC championship, people were out in the streets till all, all hours of the night. Uh, what's going to look like if they win the whole thing? Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz talking to Pat Donovan at the Pat and Aaron show in Tampa. One of the things, of course, uh, you think about as you're facing this Chiefs team is how do you stop Patrick Mahomes? How do you slow down that offense? How do you contend with Andy Reid's brilliant football mind? Does it feel like the fans there are cautiously optimistic or are they more in why would we need to be optimistic? We have the guy who's been to this is going to be, you know, Super Bowl number 10 greatest player of all time. What's the vibe over there? I think on the one hand, you know, Buccaneers fans wouldn't be very smart if they didn't go into this game with a healthy level of fear of Patrick Mahomes and just what that young man can do at any given moment. That said, it just kind of, Sarah, it feels too special. It feels too Hollywood written. It just, it feels the Buccaneers, they, they feel like a team of destiny for Tom Brady to come over here this year. No OTAs, no mini camps, a weird and shortened training camp. And then somehow they still find a way to kind of put it all together towards the end of the season and go on this run and get to the Super Bowl and be the first team in the history of the NFL. And think about, you know, a team that had the worst winning percentage in the history of pro sports being the first NFL team to actually get to host a Super Bowl in their own backyard with their football team playing in it. It's, it's ironic. It's kind of uh, perfect for what we're going through right now because everything's weird, like you just said. But it just it seems too special to go wrong. With that being said, Pat, think about what Bucks fans have suffered through for forever, and now you have this new phenomenon of – you know, frank, frankly, Patriot fans from everywhere that just bought the Brady jersey and have come along. So how are the diehards treating, treating all the bandwagoners that came along with Brady? Listen, we're okay with it. You know, we're, listen, this is Tampa Bay, and you guys know how Tampa Bay is. It's a transient city. There are a lot of fans of really teams from all over the place, right, that live here. So many of us, and every single one of us at the radio station at WDAE in Tampa, none of us, none of us are actually from Florida, right? Full-blown Floridians are like um, an endangered species around here. So we've got fans from all over the place. We're kind of used to seeing fans from other cities in our buildings when there are fans in our buildings, right? So <laughs> it, it's one of those things where, for the most part, they're pretty respectful of uh, other teams' fans. And if they're going to jump on board and root for the box like a lot of Pats fans are, we'll welcome them. You know, I don't want to be rude, but I think it's probably for the best that full-blown Floridians are few and far between. It's a real danger to a full-blown. You never want to go full Florida man, is all I'm saying, Pat. Uh, Pat Donovan is with us here on Spain and Fitz. We're running out of time here. So quickly, if you're looking at this game, is there any way you see the Bucks winning beyond that front seven giving Patrick Mahomes and that injured offensive line fits? That's the only way I've heard. It certainly seems like the only way, right? But the only other way I would say is, is it's, it's Tom Brady's Tom Brady, right? And it, if it comes down to it, it might be the type of thing where both of these quarterbacks are showing us how special they are, and it turns into a shootout. And I'm not voting against Tom Brady in a shootout. So Short memory, very smart fits. Three, yeah. uh, three picks last time, and he's ready to he's ready to go right back out there. I like it. <laughs> We know how he prepares for the Super Bowl, and uh, they wouldn't be here without him. The, the defense had to bail him out last week. There's no question about it, but they wouldn't be here without the guy. All right, so what's your pick? 
Uh, Buccaneers 38-34. I think it does kind of turn into that shootout, and we see how special these two guys are. And then uh, there's just too much storybook, in, in my opinion, for this thing to go wrong. And Tampa deserves it. You guys it. can check them out. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. The last time Tampa was in a Super Bowl was a day that I cried. I mean, it was a very bad day for Raiders fans, so I'm not going to have a ton of pity for Tampa either way. But, Pat, we appreciate you joining us, my friend, as always. Thanks for hanging out with us. Anytime, guys. You can check him out on the Pat and Aaron Show on WDAE in Tampa weekdays, noon to 3 Eastern. Uh, Sarah, the funny thing is I keep hearing the, the sentiment he just said is one I've heard from a lot of good football minds over the last 24 hours that the reason they're going to win is just because Brady. And that's just tough for me because I know that Brady the brand wins, but, man, I don't know that I can just call the Super Bowl based on that one thing. We haven't Honestly, made our it's predictions a pretty though, decent, yet. We will do that soon. It's a pretty decent way to break it down considering what we've seen before. <laughs> Well, we'll talk to a broadcasting legend next who is on the call to see what he thinks of everything. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The radio goat, Kevin Harlan, about to call his 12th Super Bowl, breaking his own record for most consecutive Super Bowls called. And he joins us now. Kevin Harlan calling the game for Westwood One this weekend. Thanks for the time, Kevin. Great to be on with you guys. Good evening. Tampa's a little chilly tonight. But uh, it's ready for Super Bowl 55. There are surprisingly a lot of Chiefs fans down here, even though they can't get in. I think they are just wanting to soak up the atmosphere. And uh, we are ready to roll two days away with a lot on the line. How different has it been for you, Kevin? Because obviously for many of us, we're watching Radio Row from afar. The, the parties aren't happening. The team's not even flying in until tomorrow. As you prep for the game, does it change the job for you at all for it to be during this COVID time? Now, Sarah, it, it really, it's, it's the same. You know, I started uh, right after I did the game up in Lambeau when uh, Brady beat Rodgers and the Packers in the NFC Championship and went home that night back home to Kansas City where we live and uh, began prep uh, for what, you know, I think is going to be one of those games that we'll talk about for a while if if the Buccaneers play a near flawless game. I mean, I think it's going to come down to their, their margin of error is so small, and they've got to, they're going to have to have a couple of special plays along the way because, as we saw, as recently as last year, you know, you can be down, uh, if you're Mahomes, by a couple of scores and seven minutes left in the game and still pull it out and win and win by, you know, double digits. And, and that's the fear, because even if you convert a lot of third downs, if you are able to move the chains and play the epitome of a West Coast offense, and if Brady controls the game with short passing and gets the two running backs involved and all the things that can eat up the clock, you still know that Mahomes is going to have a shot somewhere along the line, and that's going to be the great equalizer. You know, how much time will they have? What can your defense do special? They showed it against Rodgers. The Buccaneer defense showed it against Rodgers, sacked him five times, and got a win when they turned it over themselves three. But uh, can they do it two games in a row? Against Mahomes, against that team, it's going to be tough, and that will be kind of the, the linchpin, I think, of the game. We're talking to Kevin Harlan, who's calling the Super Bowl for Westwood One on Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Kevin, with all of the strangeness that we've gone through this year, so many of us are watching on TV, but it still feels weird to see mostly empty stadiums. What impact does it have on a game as big as the Super Bowl that so much of it is about adrenaline, and now it's going to be a very weird vibe inside the stadium? How does that impact everything? 
Well, Jason, you've covered so many games yourself, so you know. I mean, when you're there, there's just a lot going on with PA and crowd noise and shooting bazooka T-shirt guns and all the stuff they got. <laughs> all that is gone, certainly. The cheerleaders, I mean, like all the sideshow elements of these games are gone. The players have said, interestingly enough, that we've gotten, I think, some stunningly good performances this season. I mean, like, I was thinking that, like, the degree, the quality, the, the level of play would come down with the lack of atmosphere and passion driven by those fans. I think it was the exact opposite. I think for whatever, they got more focused. They were more, you know, in tune, glued to what they had to do, doing their job, and, and it showed. I, I was, I thought that was like one of the more pleasant surprises. The quality of play, fewer penalties, like better games, higher scoring games. It, it really covered every gamut. And, and, and that was kind of fun to watch. And I think that will be the same. Certainly there'll be fans there. And people think, well, it'll be a Tampa game. As you know, in these Super Bowls, it's, it's everybody from every state from the four corners of the world. I mean, I'm sure there will be some Tampa people there. We know there'll be some first responders, the people that have helped us in this pandemic. They're local and they're regional and they're national that are coming in for that. But there are people here from all, all over the world, literally, to watch this game if they can find a ticket. So it's going to be a mix like all these Super Bowls are. People, players will tell you that the atmosphere in a Super Bowl is so different than like a home playoff game, home championship game. It just has a different feel to it. And after a while, and, and you two have been in the business a long time, even when you have noise and you're broadcasting or trying to write a story and you're trying to concentrate on whatever it might be, you block all that stuff out. So um, I, I think that's, that's what these players will do. I mean, listen, these defenses, both of them, They've got their hands full with these two quarterbacks, and uh, and 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 I don't think anyone's gonna gonna you know have their compass pointed in the wrong direction. They're gonna they're gonna figure it out. They'll figure it out early, and they'll be ready to go. Kevin Harlan with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. He's calling the Super Bowl for Westwood one, his twelfth or maybe eleventh, whatever it is. You've you've done a number of them, and I'm seeing different numbers on the internet. You know you've done it a bunch when people can't even keep track anymore. Uh, you used to call the Chiefs games. That was that was your gig. Uh, so as you approach this weekend, I think there's been way too much Mahomes versus Brady, but at least we got a lot of good Chiefs coverage last year. I think the rest of the Bucks team that isn't named Tom Brady, maybe Arians and Gronk, is kind of not getting enough credit here. Have you spent some time trying to really immerse yourself in this Bucks team and the storylines around them? Because obviously you've got that Chiefs background coming in. And there are stories everywhere you look, Sarah. I mean, like literally yeah. every place, every position group that you come across, there is an angle, there is a storyline going in. And Gronkowski's only caught a couple passes in the playoffs. I did their game that they won in the wild card at Washington, and then I did their game at Lambeau, so I saw him twice. I saw him three times during the regular season for CBS and Westwood One. So I've, I've seen him a lot. I've had a chance to kind of follow the progress. And as we know, they began 6-2, and two, but this is – a Tom Brady and a, and a new feel with the new quarterback uh, that didn't have OTAs, had virtual preseason, no preseason games, limited workouts. We know that Brady is a rep guy, right? So, so the team, even though they surprisingly, you know, started six and two, hit that trough, losing three or four, including the game to the Chiefs. They had the bye. They they kind of got back on the same page. They haven't lost since, and Brady has been terrific. But the running back. Leonard Fournette, who is not a factor in the regular season, has been a sledgehammer in the playoffs. Uh, they've gotten a third-level wide receiver, Scotty Miller, who has helped Godwin and Elta Evans. 
And, and we talk about Gronkowski, and we talk about Brayton, and we talk about these receivers, but it's also been an offensive line that has pretty much held their own and had the same starters most of the season. And then defensively, young in the secondary, but a defense, the front seven, got the Rodgers five times two weeks ago. And the Kansas City defense has the same kind of stories. A, a, a generational guy on their defensive line in Chris Jones. Edge rushers, including Frank Clark, and maybe the best safety in pro football in Tyron Matthews. So we can talk about the quick-twitch offensive players of the Chiefs and these two you know, uh, incredible quarterbacks who have these unbelievable resumes with a myriad of different accomplishments. But these other guys, too, will play a role. Their fingerprints will be on it. There is no doubt about it. And I think that a game in the 30s for both, for sure. I think it'll be late fourth quarter. I think it's very close with what Vegas is saying with three, three and a half points. But I know that no one's talking about the D. I think the defense, somewhere along the line with either side, and I'm thinking more Tampa Bay than I am Kansas City, will play some factor in this game. It's got to. They've had too many big plays in the playoffs, and there's no reason why they shouldn't on, uh, on Sunday night down here. Well, we are obviously looking forward to the game and looking forward to your call. Let's get a – can we get a prediction from you, or is that against the rules with your job? I can never keep track. It's against the rules, but I. But like right. I said, I, I do think – I think both teams, <laughs> I think both teams are going to be in the 30s. And, okay. and, I, and I do think it's going to be a fourth quarter game. I really do. I think it's going to have all okay, those. Okay, we'll count that. All those we'll count elements. that as your prediction. I like it. In the 30s and a close game. Uh, we so look forward to it. Enjoy the call. I'm sure we will. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you, guys. Always a pleasure to be on. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Oh, boy. Going to be a great weekend. It's a Fri-yay on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We don't even have time to play the Fri-yay sound for you because we got so much to get to first. Of course, we're going to get to our Super Bowl predictions and a little sports tinder. But we've also got NBA action this weekend to get to. Uh, we got the AutoZone NBA on ABC Saturday preview. Warriors at Mavs. That's an 8.30 Eastern start. Fits the Mavs look terrible. The The Warriors are fun to watch because we're getting some of staff. We're getting a look at James Wiseman. We're seeing what they can do even without Clay. I don't know what the excuse is for the Mavs. The Warriors are making something out of nothing. The Mavs should be up there, and they can't get it together. Yeah, and the entire NBA needs them to get it together because you mentioned the Warriors, and everybody loves Steph, right? Like, Steph's just a likable guy, but they need more likable guys. If we're going to have villains in the NBA, you got to have heroes. Luka can be that. Luka Doncic has all the personality and all of the skill to be that Steph Curry type of person that can carry the, the, the league for a decade. But they've got to put something around him that doesn't stink. Mm. Like, I'm surprised. Yeah. I thought the Mavs were going to take a step forward this well, year. Well, so and wrong. we need them to win so that Shaq will stop saying things like they need to get another guy like Luka but better, like Bradley Beal or Russell Westbrook. Yeah. What? You know what? Now I've just uh, decided I want to party with Shaq because obviously he... Whatever planet right. he's on is a fun one. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. Warriors Mavs, 830 Eastern on Saturday. NBA on ABC. All right. It is a Friday. We got to get into some sports Tinder. Some of these are Super Bowl. Some of them are not, but all of them are great. The Penn State tweet today. This thing took off in ways no one could have imagined. Penn State football putting out a tweet with this beautiful infographic that says boldly and enthusiastically, a Penn Stater has reached 50 out of 55 Super Bowls. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the that's the one that they fixed. The earlier one that didn't need a that, that needed a, a magnifying glass said a Penn Stater has appeared in every Super Bowl. 
And then you look at tiny little print underneath and it said, except for five since 1967. Okay, fair or foul? Was this tweet fair? I am going to swipe. Swipe, swipe down. down. I yeah, hate that's it. Right. <laughs> this is a terrible tweet. By, and look, a lot of people had to look at that tweet and decide. Like somebody made the graphic, then somebody posted the graphic, then somebody said yes on tweeting the graphic out. Everything about this is terrible. If you're relying on the fine print to save you on this, when the secondary tweet that they put out made sense, this is just a dumb <laughs> move by Penn State. Uh, despite the fact that they did put out that second tweet that I accidentally read that did say corrected, no magnifying glass, a Penn State has reached 50 out of 55 Super Bowls. Was the first one fair? I'm still going to. Swipe right. They tricked me. I saw mm. it. I saw it. I didn't see the fine print. I was like, that is impressive. I was really into it. So they got me, and I'm not even mad about it. I liked it. I thought it was funny the way that they tricked me, and I didn't think they had to rescind it and post another one. There were some follow-ups, though. Michigan State football, or sorry, Michigan football, for instance. Tom Brady has played in every Super Bowl. Fine print, except for the 45 he hasn't made. <laughs> well, I like Ole Miss. Ole Miss, the, they said... And Ole Miss Rebel has won every Super Bowl, the fine print said, except for the ones they didn't. <laughs> I actually, there were there were a bunch of these. I think my favorite one, although the Brady one is good because it's impressive, but the UMBC, a UMBC alum, has played in or watched every Super Bowl <laughs> since 1967. <laughs> so good. Uh, okay, so are those fair or foul? Fair? Oh, I cannot wait to swipe. Swipe up. Super yeah. like. I'm all in on this. I yeah, love with trolling you. Absolutely. everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely swiping up on that one. Just so smart and funny. Everybody handled it great. Okay, moving on. Uh, the mayor of Tampa Bay saying that if they win the Super Bowl, perhaps they'll change the city's name to Tampa Bay. So this had me thinking, Fitz. You think it'd be more likely for Deshaun Watson to come to the Bears if we changed the city's name to Deshaun Go? I mean, I'm going to <laughs> swipe right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not. I'm actually jealous about this because I can't find a good way to put Deshaun Watson's name into Vegas. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be competing with you for it. It's a great idea. I'm going to, of course. Swipe up, super light. Yeah, I mean, clearly Deshaun Watson's like, wow, great city of Chicago, completely renaming itself Deshaun Go, which totally rolls off the tongue. I'm in. Get me out of these Wentz conversations and rumors right now, too. I can't handle it. I can't it keep taking Philadelphia Eagles retreads. Always be Deshango. I think we could be Deshango for the duration of his time in Chicago with the Bears. If he wins a Super Bowl, we'll consider extending it for a, <laughs> a limited time after he's after he's retired. Uh, Trevor Bauer goes to the Dodgers. It was kind of sounding like it was going to be Dodgers or Mets. He ends up going to L.A. Is this a good fit? Yeah, I'm going to swipe right. And and to me, this is all about Trevor Bauer getting himself in a situation where he really has a series of three one-year deals. I mean, that's what this comes down to. He's going to make a ton of money over the next three years, but most importantly, he keeps himself right in the thick of having a ton of options over the next three years also. And by the way, I mean, the most talented roster in baseball just added the Cy Young winner. So I, I don't see how this could be anything but great for both the player and the team, not for the rest of baseball, but for the two of them. I'm going to go ahead and swipe right. I totally agree with you. Yeah, not good for the rest of baseball, but that's as much a part of this, right? If you're the Dodgers, if you're fans and if you're members of that team, you feel pretty good that you went out and won and they're still adding pieces and spending money, right? They're not going to rest on the laurels of having won that title last season. And if you're the rest of the league, you're mad because not only does this mean they get Bauer, they also prevent him from going somewhere else. They don't want to see the Padres or any other team gaining on them. They need to keep adding pieces to keep staying relevant. 
Uh, and for him, he gets to join a championship team that's perennial contenders on a one plus one plus one deal that gives him a lot of flexibility. Great move for both of them. Uh, finally, Notre Dame has this tradition of playing out in Dublin. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, the Fighting Irish. Apparently, it's going to be Illinois, Nebraska this year. So uh, would you say Irish eyes are smiling about this edition? Oh, my God. I'm going to swipe down. I hate it. Game day this year, this season that didn't happen, was supposed to go over to Dublin for Notre Dame. And I'm all excited because I'm thinking, all right, we're going to travel over and I'm going to get to see Notre Dame play. Now when I see that's the matchup, if you're giving me Illinois, Nebraska, I'm like, you know what? It's good. I'm fine. I don't need to go to Dublin. Like, I'm good. I will stay here. You guys just have fun over there. Oh, it's a terrible matchup. I mean, I'm not turning down a trip to Dublin regardless of his play. If you want to send me over there for literally anything, I'm in. But I'm still going to. Swipe down. I hate it. Yeah, I mean, as far as our Irish fans going to be excited about two totally random teams in Nebraska and Illinois playing in Dublin, probably not. No, at least there was a meaningful tie with the Irish. Instead, we get Illinois, U of I, that storied football program, taking on Nebraska. I'll still go, though, ESPN. Feel free to send me. I'll be happy to go. Anything to get me out of my house, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> uh, this was Sports Tinder. Hope you enjoyed us making bad decisions, swiping left, up, right, and down the way that you do on a Friday night. I'm sorry, a Friday night. And it is Super Bowl Friday, which means after a long week of getting the picks of everyone else, we have to make our predictions. A quick wrap-up of the folks that we've had on the show. Gerald McCoy, Bucks by a 10. Kavika Mitchell, Chiefs 28-13, Dominique Foxworth, Chiefs 34-27, Derek Brooks, Bucks in the over, Deion Dawkins, Bucks, D'Angelo Williams, Chiefs in a blowout, Darius Butler weaseled out of a pick, Seren Petro, Chiefs 37-17, Pat Donovan, Bucks 38-34, and Kevin Harlan after I awkwardly put him on the spot, both teams in the 30s, it's a close game. Fitz, what is your prediction? It is not going to be a close game. Uh, the Kansas City wow. Chiefs are going to win their second straight Super Bowl, and they're going to do it in commanding fashion. I'm taking Chiefs 41-28 to in a game that's not that close. I think it's Woo! like a garbage-time touchdown that makes it that. This is going to feel like one of those uh, Super Bowls we saw in the uh, 80s, early 90s, where it was just it was done by the half. That's I, I do not think that there's anything that's going to be done to stop this offense from rolling up the points. I know Tampa Bay fans are going to hate on me, so but I just want to clarify. Oh, yeah, I want to clarify so we have it on tape. You're picking for Tom Brady to get absolutely embarrassed in a Super Bowl and not compete. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you say that? Can you say that part? Tom Brady is going to get embarrassed in the Super Bowl and not be competitive. Okay, cool. I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure I had that on tape. God, I hope I'm right now. <laughs> I didn't care if I was right until that instance. Next 10 years, I, that's going to bite me in the butt. Yeah, I think the Chiefs are going to win. I think this game comes down to the defensive play calling and pressure, which is something we've talked about all week. What we know is that Tom Brady has the 27th best QBR under pressure, and the game plan against him is always interior pressure, and this is a Chiefs team that can send the blitz. They did it almost 50% of the time the last time they met. Mahomes has the best QBR in football under pressure. Tops in touchdown-interception ratio and yards per attempt as well under pressure. When the Bucks try to go after him and he splits out to the edge, he manages to escape. It's going to be a problem for him. They have the best response to that pressure. They are so good with the RPOs that I'm taking the Chiefs 30-24. Enjoy your Super Bowl. Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up next to help keep you get ready for Sunday. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. Happy Friday! Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. 